welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. If you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We are beginning our brand new series on the book of Matthew. I appreciate all the comments and the uh, way that God used First John to impact so many of us as we were able to go through that. Now we're going to be spending quite a bit of time in the book of Matthew, and it's uh, great that we were able to start it in relationship to the holiday season. Now, as you heard the verses read, it's not like there's this exciting, you can pull these small principles out of it, like Philippians, I can do all things through Christ, that's a motivating verse. Um, Ephesians has a really good flow when it shares about what the Bible says about how we're able to respond in the relationships God's placed us in. So there's really practical ones. And then you even have the stories of the Old Testament. And you get to hear the, kind of the narrative of how different individuals were involved in others' lives to do things. And then you come to Matthew, and you start things off. And the first question a lot of people ask as they study this, how come the genealogy for Matthew is different than, in, I think it's uh, Luke 2 or maybe 3, the genealogy of Christ in Luke 3? Well, Matthew, as you'll, if you were listening towards the end there, this is actually the genealogy of the father Joseph, whereas Luke is the mother Mary. They're the genealogy of both of the parents that you see in the differences there. And it's interesting, too, because at this time of year is the time of year when a lot of times many of us are thrust into family situations that are not maybe what we would choose to do. I get several calls usually during this time of year saying, hey, we got to go to this family get-together, and uh, there's this kind of awkward situation, or there's this difficult situation, or for some, it's going to be a hard situation because it's the first Christmas without somebody or somebody's missing, whether due to death or possibly divorce or other family circumstances. So we can get into lots of different things where we think about family, and that can bring and elicit a lot of really positive and exciting emotions, and it can bring some pretty negative ones also. And I think everybody here can probably think of somebody in your family, um, and maybe you're the one that everybody else knows about, but there's that one aunt, that one second cousin, that one grandpa that everyone's like, oh, I just hope they don't. I have an aunt who is one of the sweetest ladies in the world. She remembers every holiday. She hand makes cards. We get them for St. Patrick's Day. We get them for Halloween. We get them, and, and every birthday, no matter how old you are, you're going to get $30 in the mail. And it used to be a check, but she, too many of those disappeared as the grandkids got older, the great aunts, uh, nieces, and nephews. And so now it's cash. Uh, so there's a risk there, but uh, it goes to them. And my Aunt Nancy. But the thing with her that's the challenge is she also has some socially awkward situations. Um, she will have no problem going out to the mailbox to get her mail in just a long shirt and her undergarments. And my brother will call me and go, she's doing it again. I'm like, Nancy, you cannot do that, you know, going across there. So we love her and Nancy, but she certainly has those socially awkward situations that you get into. And we all have family skeletons. We all have things that we're like... Boy, I hope that the light of day never hits and reveals that. And what I love about what God decided to do with the line of Christ is he put normal, regular, struggling, burdened, difficult people in the line of Christ. 
both on Mary's side and on Joseph's side. And so today, as we read through the genealogy, there's many names that we see listed here that if you were to look up in your Bible dictionaries, you're going to find they're only listed here. So you have those individuals that for, for during their life period, they never knew that they were going to show up in the pages of Scripture as a part of the line of the family tree of Christ. And then there's other ones we read that are, wow, I mean, we've heard stories of them. There's, there's chapters and chapters on them. And what I want to do today as we walk through this passage is I'm just going to pick out a few of the, the, the folks that are here just to give us a snapshot of some of the family elements, the branches, so to speak, on the family tree of Christ. Now, the first one we see right away in verse number two, and it talks about Jacob. Now, Jacob was a liar and a cheat. Boy, what a great one to have in your line, right? Yeah, Jacob, a liar and a cheat. Now, Jacob was the son of Isaac, and he was the, one of the, he was the only patriarch, by the way, Jake, uh, Isaac was, who only had one wife. All the rest of them had multiple wives. So he has a family situation, Jacob did, that was stable. He had a brother named Esau, and, and the birthright was given out to the firstborn child. Now, birthright was a Jewish, in fact, there's some other Middle Eastern countries that adopted it, but mainly you got a double portion of the inheritance, you got a special blessing. It was a, a something obviously everyone desired, but the firstborn also had a, a, another set of responsibilities to be the priest of the family, to be able to be the spiritual overseer, the director of things. So yeah, they had more responsibilities that firstborn male did than others did in the family. And when you consider Jacob, though, he was the second born by milliseconds as he clung to the heel of Esau when he came out of the womb. And he was completely different than Esau. Esau was an outdoors guy. He's the one that would want to climb mountains and ski slopes and, you know, hunt for his own food. Jacob was more domesticated. He liked to be in the kitchen. He liked to be around the house. He liked to be around the indoors. There were different qualities to the individuals. Very, very different. And Jacob was manipulated to a degree by his mother, which shows more dysfunction than we can see. And Jacob, it came to that point in time where his dad was going to give away the birthright. And you'll see all this if you want to reflect on or even read later. In Genesis chapter 27 and also in Genesis chapter 32 is kind of where you're going to find both of these stories, Genesis 27 and Genesis 32. And Jacob goes in. Esau's out hunting, getting ready to go and get the birthright, that blessing from his dad. And while that's taking place, we see the, the deceit that takes place. Now, at this point in time, Isaac was, we was go, going blind for all intents and purposes. He was getting older. His senses weren't as good as ears, his hearing, so on and so forth. And so Jacob took that um, opportunity to put fur on his arms because Esau apparently was very hairy. And he went in there and, and tried to disguise himself and did a good enough job, at least, where he got the birthright given to him. Now, in the meantime, we could say, yeah, but Esau did it willingly. Well, he took advantage of Esau. Esau had a moment of weakness. He said, hey, you got to give me your birthright to be able to do this. And so Jacob felt justified because he'd manipulated his brother. And then he goes and he deceives his father. And that's in the line of Christ. This Jacob, this deceiver. Now, I will say this. When you look at Jacob, you see that that was purely an act of selfishness. And Jacob, over and over again, you see in his life these acts of selfishness that took place. Whereas about his agenda, and about his way, and about what he wanted, sound like anybody you might know? 
We all battle that selfishness. But we see the maturing of Jacob. He comes to a point in time where he reconciles with his brother Esau. You see him along the way, how he comes to a situation where we see an amazing act of boldness as one night he wrestles with God himself and sticks with it when, when it would have been easy to give up, having a permanent limp because of the, the situation. But through it, God gave him a new name and God laid out for him what the genealogy would be through his line and that he had a responsibility to make sure that he led that line, started that line in a way that would please the Lord. That was a true act of boldness in him. And I think the reminder we can have that as we look at our own lives is it's very easy to look back and even currently and look at times where we are liars and cheats. How we manipulate things so that we can selfishly gain what we want to have in a situation. And I love the fact of the ongoing redeeming work of Christ, how we can change, how God does change us, how God as we are his children and his spirit of God is in us, he grows us and sanctifies us and our actions and attitudes can change. And we don't have to be defined by who we used to be because what really matters that we're defined by isn't that Jacob was a liar and a cheat, isn't that we are whatever definition we put on it, but if you've come to that point where you've accepted Christ as your savior, the only definition that matters is that you are a redeemed child of God a redeemed child of God. But I love that God put in the line of Christ, Jacob, the liar and the cheat, but God used him in a powerful way to be one of the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. The second person that you're gonna see a, a few verses further down in that is, is, is Ruth. Now Ruth, now it's interesting if you know anything about the book of Ruth, and really you'd have to dig into all four chapters of Ruth to go through this, but Ruth, she was a Gentile and a widow. She was a Gentile and she was a widow. Now, her father-in-law was named Elimelech, and Elimelech and Naomi, there was a famine in the land of Israel. So as a result of that, they went to go find some place they could feed their family. Elimelech had two growing boys, and he went somewhere. It was a difficult choice because they were going to Moab. Now, although there were other Jews in Moab, it certainly wasn't a place that Israel was encouraged to go to. Israel's very, very big on the purity of their line. And so to go to a place means more than likely you're not going to be marrying from the Jewish nation. And that's exactly what happened with both of Elimelech's sons. And in the time in Moab that they lived there, and Moab was a very ungodly nation. They served idols. They sacrificed children to their idols. It was a violent nation. And they went there because they were concerned, Elimelech as a father, to feed his family. You can see that the rawness of that to, to take there and the, the risk, and, and we'll just do the best that we can. While he's there, his sons, he lines up marriages for them, but also while he's there, he dies. Not only does he die, but both of his sons die. And he leaves his wife, Naomi, with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. She's ashamed, she's embarrassed, and in fact, she changes her name for a time. Mara, which means bitter. And she decides she has nothing left, no reason to stay in Moab. Things have turned a corner economically in Israel. So she has property still that her family's holding on to, so she might as well go back home. And when she goes into the town and she's received it, and she tells everyone, hey, do longer call me Naomi. I am now Mara. I am bitter. She was upset and frustrated with God. And along the way, she told both of her daughter-in-laws to head back, to go back to their homeland. But what do you see with Ruth? She was willing to leave her nuclear family. Now, it can be very difficult for us to leave family and to travel miles and miles. 
When we moved out to Pennsylvania the first time, my wife's biggest concern was is leaving all her family to come out here from Illinois all the way out to this foreign land of Pennsylvania. And it's difficult. And any of you that have had to pack up everything that you own and whatever doesn't go in that truck is staying behind and all your kids and you pack it in and you take off and you really don't look back. You never know when God, if God, will ever lead you back home again. It's hard. But she wasn't just leaving, Ruth wasn't just leaving her home. She was leaving her family. She was leaving the way of life that she knew. She grew up as a Moabite. She understood the Moabite customs, the Moabite religion. She understood all of that. This was a safe, comfortable place for her. Now, she had an adopted family, but she was still in a comfortable environment. And now she left, and I love the interaction that you see in uh, Ruth chapter two, I believe it is, where Naomi continues to say, stay back, stay back. And she's like, no, your God is my God. Your family's my family. I'm not leaving you, Naomi. The compassion of this woman, her commitment to embrace her husband's God. Hey, I no longer, the Moabite religion, the Moabite nation, it's no longer mine. I am embracing, and think of the beautiful picture, how many daughter-in-laws would leave everything they knew to support a bitter woman to a foreign land. And when she went there, she served Naomi in phenomenal ways. She went out and was the one that went and did the, the gleaning in the fields. And if you know the story at all, she went from a point of being able to meet and find out of her kinsman redeemer, a picture of Christ in the book of Ruth, where she was married, the property was restored, and even Naomi, excuse, <coughs> excuse me, even Naomi picked up her name again and shed off the title of Mara Bitter and proclaimed again that her God had been good to her. All because Ruth, a Gentile and a widow, decided to do the compassionate thing for her family. That woman is in the line of Christ. A Gentile woman is in the line of Christ, and she's not the only one. There's one other one I'd like to point out today, and that's Asa. And Asa's a few more verses down. And in fact, I'd like you to turn with you, me, if you would, to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, if you would. Back in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles. I did not mark down what page it's in in the Bibles in front of you. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. But there are those Bibles in front if you want to grab it and you can look up the number of the book, at least in the, the front of the, the Bible there. 2 Chronicles chapter number 14. So the last one we see is Asa. He was a king and he was a cleaner. We see the first eight verses there. It says, Abihah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest. The land had rest for 10 years. And as Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, he took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars, and cut down the asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. Verse 5. He also took out all the cities of Judah. He took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. 
And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We've sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa, and you can, we won't need to read that last part there. Verse number seven we'll end with. So they built and prospered. Asa, now, I've done lots of study on the kings of Judah and the kings of the northern tribes or Israel. And the sad thing in the northern tribes is not one time after David reigned, Solomon reigned, Rehoboam reigned, and then things split up, not one time do you see any of the northern kings choosing to serve God. And only a handful of the southern kings, the kings of Judah, chose to do that. And when we hear certain names, a lot of times these kings are white noise almost. Yeah, this king, and I don't know which one served God and which one didn't serve God, and where is all that out? But King Asa stuck out. God gave them peace. Did you hear how many times he said rest and peace and rest and peace? In a time of rebuilding, in a time of healing, in a time of fortifying that God gave during the times of King Asa. Asa, again, in the line of Christ. But I love what it shows there because it would have been so easy for Asa because there is no rhyme or reason, humanly speaking. You'd have a great godly king followed by a horrifically evil king. But Asa made a decision. He didn't make a decision about being king. That was thrust upon him. And in our lives, there are certain things that are thrust upon you. You don't get to choose the family you come from. And all that comes with that, good and bad, my son Caleb was just saying last night, Mom and Dad, I w why didn't we have any good genes for singing in our family? <laughs> I tried to tell him I sing good, and he informed me that my son has taped me singing and is not good, just loud. <laughs> Joyful noise, right? But you get what you get. Some people are taller and shorter. Some people are broader and thinner. Some people have big ears and small ears. And some people, the family looks identical to each other's. And some you wonder how you ever came from the same genes. They're thrust upon you. Asa was not chosen to be king. He was in that kingly line and it was thrust upon him. But what kind of king he was going to be was a choice that he made. And you are never going to get rid of the DNA that you are, but you can choose what kind of life that you're going to live. You can choose what you're going to do with your family lineage because God puts you in that family for a reason. God placed you there. And you can look back and complain about your family all you want. And some are rough families. I have two stepdads, two stepmoms. I understand family dysfunction. But I also understand the grace of God. And I understand the sensitivities God's given to me as a result of growing up in the home that I did grow up in, the understanding of situations. But I had to come to a point like all of you have had to, our, our will, and that's this, what are you gonna do with God, though? Will God be your savior? Will he be your God? Because maybe he was your parents' God or maybe he wasn't your parents' God, but will you take that personal step of accepting him as Savior? You've got to choose. Christian, you've got to choose how you're going to live out your Christianity. Is it going to be active and passionate or apathetic and passive? Now, I realize you can talk about the wounds from the churches that you've been in before. I get it. And the difficulties. But today is a new day and you have to choose to decide what you're going to do with God today, even as a Christian. And Asa went in there, and during this time of peace, he decided he was going to clean house 
of all the gods. And you'll see a lot of the good godly gods would go in and they would kind of clean partway. They'd get rid of the altars in the temple of the false gods. They'd get rid of some of the idols. He went into the crevices and cracks of the nation and eradicated all that he could find that was not about worshiping Jehovah God. He was a cleaner. And believe me, that wasn't an easy task because we think, well, he was the king. He can do whatever he wants to. There was a lot of kickback by the family leaders in those days when you were going to change the way that we'd been doing things, especially when the Israelites were worshiping false gods, which they knew they shouldn't. That embarrassment factor will kick in and help you to do a lot of things that you shouldn't do. But Asa chose to be a man that served God. Uncomfortably, in difficult situations, and he eradicated the altars and the high places that were there. Now those are just a few of the families that we could take time to dig through that are in this genealogy. And I encourage you, take some time to dig into those genealogies and look up those names. But what I wanted to point out today mostly is that we all have those family skeletons. We all have those difficulties. We all look at our trees and there's some people we want the whole world to know about. And there's other people in our family line that we're just a little embarrassed of how they may or may not act when they get out in public. But three different individuals that we snatched here, and we could have easily picked other ones, really challenge us to decide how we're going to live our lives. Because you got Jacob. You may currently even struggle with some deep-seated stuff like Jacob did. It was easier for Jacob to be a deceiver and a liar than it was to be a man of God. And he wrestled through that in his life. Do not allow the sins that even are besetting ones to be the identifier of who you are. Well, I just can't help it. I'm always going to be an addict. I'm always going to be a deceiver. I'm always going to be a liar. No, you are not, as a child of God, defined by those terms at all. You are defined as a redeemed son of God, cleansed and washed. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. You are his child. Now, we need to address the things we struggle with and not ignore them, but we don't have to be defined by them. And don't worry about your lineage. We have Ruth. She was a Gentile. She was a widow. She was the bottom rung of civilization in Israel at that time. But she didn't stop any of that from being a loving caring, sacrificial, compassionate woman of God, Jehovah God. So don't you sit here going, well, if my dad would have, if my mom would have, if my uncle would have, if my wife would have, if my, my, my uh, family line would have provided this, then I'd be in a whole lot different situation. Or maybe you live underneath the embarrassment of coming from a godly line and you straight away, again, don't be pressured by that. It's really, again, about embracing Jehovah God Embracing Christ and the gift that he's given. And you might come from a really rough situation in our society. You might be that Gentile and widow category. You are loved and cherished by God Almighty. And you are a part of his family line if you're his child. No less than King Asa. No less. And then we saw Asa. And again, you may have certain things in your life that are thrust upon you. You may not be able to sing very well. You might have a family that doesn't do a really good job about confronting and working through conflict the way they should. You may have other things that are thrust upon you. But you can choose who in Christ, what you're going to do with Christ, excuse me, once you're in Christ. You can be a cleaner 
You can be passionate and energetic and active in your faith or apathetic and passive in your faith. It's a choice that you get to make, just like King Asa had to make. These are just a sprinklings, a sprinkling of what these family trees are all about, the branches that are there. But really, the choice is yours. So as we wrap up this sermon, I just want to give you a few questions to chew on. Will you inherit or develop your legacy? You can inherit and go, well, you know what? My family are losers, I'm a loser. Or, hey, man, I got this over here because, because of what my family did. I'm, I'm immediately given these certain situations. Or are you going to develop your legacy? Now, you might honor and cherish your parents and praise God for godly examples of parents. And you may not be able to do that. So you're going to make a decision. Are you going to inherit or are you going to develop your legacy? Who are you going to be in Jesus Christ? If you're not his child, I encourage you again today to make today the day that you become his child and you become a part of that line of David, so to speak. How limiting have you allowed your line to be? How limiting have you allowed your line to be? Hey, honey, you know I'd really try to deal with this, but hey, you know, it's just, you know, it's the buckley in me. Just can't overcome it. Or... Are you going to be motivated by your line? How limiting have you allowed your line to be? And last, what lies or promises have you embraced? What lies have you embraced? And even sitting here today, they haunt you. Those lies are whispered in your ear by the evil one that you are, that he, just like he did with Adam and Eve. If you'll just eat this fruit, you're gonna be like God. He's holding out on you. What lies are you listening to or what promises will you embrace? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Not you, he will bring it to completion. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those are promises that we have in scripture that we can cling on to and hold to in our lives. But what lies or promises have you embraced Again, I encourage you not only to look through this genealogy, but start to read the book of Matthew. We're going to have a blast going through this, but we're going to be convicted, we're going to be taught, we're going to be motivated as we dig together. And really, as you see the background that we've decided to use, the theme of follow me. We want to learn to be like Jesus. That's really what it's all about, folks. And this is our first time in our 10-year history that we're tackling a gospel, so I'm pretty excited about us as we all together learn how we can better follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> it's so easy to want to keep the family skeletons in the closet. It's so easy to make excuses for why we can't be who you want us to be. Lord, it's easy to forget to be grateful for the legacy that we do have if we have a godly legacy in front of us. And we just pray that as each of us sits here and looks at where we're at with the branches of our tree, that we'll realize that our earthly tree is only a part of defining who we are. What really matters, Lord, is how we're defined as being a child of God. And again, Lord, if there's anyone here that's never taken that time where they've gone from being dead in their trespasses and sins to alive in Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. And Lord, I pray for those that have already done that, that have a relationship with you, that, Father, as they chew on the line of, of your son, that they would realize who they are, Lord, and what they can do for your honor and glory in their lives, no matter how young or how old they are. Thank you again just for this time to celebrate the young ones of our church and, Lord, the simple promises, which reminds us of the simple story of the birth 
the life and the death of our Savior and his burial and resurrection. Thank you, Father, for that message and the power in it. In your precious name, amen.